The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Alivet. Support babies' healthy development at every stage. Please be advised this episode deals with miscarriage, infant death, grief and emotional distress. If you're struggling, please listen with caution and if you need help, refer to the resources in the show notes. Kia ora and welcome to The Human Race, a podcast about those who are in the race of their lives to create a life. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and for the past four years, I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. So we wanted to bring you stories from those people that have been through it. So even if you don't want to talk about it, maybe those stories can give you hope, or at the very least, make you feel a little less alone. This is a collab podcast between Stuff and Wabi Sabi Media. One of the most common questions adults of a certain age ask each other is, do you have kids? But the answer isn't always straightforward. After a long and difficult IVF process, Emma Saunders had twins, two little miracles, and she became a mum to Ella and Alfie. But then her beautiful babies died. Emma's story is a big, grief-laden journey, and she has very kindly agreed to share it with us on The Human Race. Kia ora, Emma, um, and thank you for agreeing to be open about something that is enormous and difficult and I'm, I have no doubt hard to talk about. Mm, thank you. Kia ora. Kia ora koroa. Um, it is hard to, def- hard to talk about. It's also wonderful to talk about. I'm just not used to doing it in such a uh, public way and I'm really aware that, you know, in the room and outside the room, um, there are people on their own journeys and those journeys are so different and I'm kind of sick of the word journey but I don't know how else to describe it. I so so know what you mean. It almost seems trite, doesn't it? Mm. A journey doesn't cover it. Mm -mm. Um, And yet it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is. Yeah, it is. And it's um, full of joy and full of sometimes heartache and all the different emotions that we might feel along the way Um, and I guess that's just called life. Yeah. So I guess if we start at the beginning of what is a long journey, (laughs) you went through, I think, about 10 years of fertility treatment, you know, the monitored cycles, the IVF process. From the outset, though, did you have any inkling that you might have trouble getting pregnant? Well... Uh, in my head, no. Uh, but in um, in hindsight, I had been told along the way that um, that I might. Um, I just didn't think I would, though. I don't know. I don't know if it's all the PSAs that you get in school or what. But you know, I just didn't think that I would have problems. Um, but I had a series of pretty bad smear results. Um, in my 20s, I'm going to say, and had quite a lot of work done on my smear to make sure that my bad smear results didn't turn into cervical cancer. Um, And I was left with quite a lot of scar tissue. And so from time to time after that, when I would go and have a smear, we're really into it now, aren't we? But from time to time, when I'd go and have a smear... (laughs) It gets intimate here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, From time to time, when I'd go and have a smear, um, the the person doing the smear would say, oh gosh, there's quite a lot of scar tissue there. I wonder how it's going to be for you. You know, just bear in mind, it might be a little tricky to conceive. And I, you know, would hear that, but I also didn't really get it because I was, you know, periods would flow out. So I thought, you know, it was a two-way street that was going to be okay. So I don't know. In hindsight, yes, maybe some inklings, but I was having regular periods. I was a fit and healthy person. I don't know. I don't know if you can ever really know one way or the other anyway, because it just 
for the miracle of life that it is and for how easy it is for some people, it also seems like it's totally not a given um, that you'll be able to get pregnant. So, Yeah, I think once you've been through the process of wrestling with it, you realise what a miracle it is that any of us are here mm-hmm. because it is actually quite, you know, a lot of things need to line up mm-hmm. um, to allow us to exist, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and so then you go to start doing IVF and, and the drugs that you have to take during that, it's quite an intensive you know, time and it does so much to your body. How did you find navigating that physically and emotionally? Yeah, well, and as Nadine said, even before the IVF, there were there were drugs involved, not recreational drugs, but mm-hmm. drugs, <laughs> you know, to stimulate ovulation, drugs to hold on a little bit longer, drugs to, oh, drugs, drugs, drugs. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of cycles. The physicality of it all, and I, it was over a decade, I'm, I, you know, I won't bother now trying to figure out the details of it, but it was over a decade of of drug cycles. Um, And it's a lot physically. Um, Some of the drugs, um, particularly the ones for me, not related to IVF itself, but related to some of those earlier egg stimulation kind of rounds, I found them hideous. They were, they made me feel gross physically, but mentally they really put me in a dark place. And it was after sort of two or three goes of that that I just thought, this isn't a, this is not a good avenue for me to be going down. Like I'd have some very dark thoughts from those drugs. The, the, the drugs and the physicality of this whole process, um, you know, it's really nice that, that, you know, you, you, see that and understand that as a partner who's maybe not taking the drugs yourself because it's a lot, the physicality of it. And, you know, the drugs, the procedures themselves where they're, you know, harvesting the eggs, which is such a hideous term, but um, I get it, Um, you know, and they're poking holes in the the wall of your uterus Mm. and they're putting other things back and they're, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, the physicality of that and the weekly acupuncture and the other, you know, um, more herbal supplements that you might be taking to try and get your body right. That just the physicality of it is a lot. This is all very real for me mm. right now. I've got a box, you know, huge, <laughs> of huge supplements box. I'm taking on a twice daily basis. And mm-hmm. so I understand it. People also have so many ideas about what you should or shouldn't do outside of that. Because you <laughs> said you were you were fit and healthy. Yeah, sure. I ate a lot of junk food. But other than that, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's not paint me as a total saint here. But I remember someone coming at me on Instagram being like, well, should you be doing those things in the gym mm. when you're in the middle of IVF? And I'm like, hold up. Uh, a, you don't know where I'm at in this cycle. Mm. And also, I think I'll take my advice from people other than some idiot on the internet. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well... Um, I cannot imagine the extra dimension of a public profile um, in all of this. I just cannot even begin to imagine that because already, yeah, the, the, oh gosh, there's so many things that I want to, um, that I could respond to in that. Where, where would you like me to go? Can you, can you direct me? Because I'm about to start blabbing for an hour and well, a half. I know, I know that you were into marathon running mm-hmm. at the time mm-hmm. and like I've been really into intense physical exercise and then I got told to wind that back in. And so there's this tension of maybe what you want to do for yourself and your sanity yeah, and is. then what the doctors and the holistic specialists and everyone else is telling you you should be doing. Yeah, I found that Actually, like if I look back over my more than a decade of um, of trying to have living children, um, there's so many moments of joy and love and togetherness and we strive, you know, we're on this mission together and all that sort yeah. of stuff. Um, but one of the hardest things for me was, um, 
how do I describe this? Like strategy tension, you know, like everybody, everybody has got an opinion about what the right way to go is. I don't know if you can relate to this and what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. And people who love and care for you are very careful, I'm sure, with loading their opinions on, on you. But well, not always. Wow, but okay, <laughs> mine are good. Mine were. Um, but... Um, I also felt very strongly, you know, like I said, my um, husband at the time and I, Matthew, you know, we were a team and and striving for this very important, very big shared goal. And you've got to stay positive and you've got to keep thinking, you can do it and I'm on the right track and all that sort of stuff. Essentially, though, my body, because it was me that was the problem, my body um, became a shared resource, you know, it became a something that it wasn't just about he don't get me wrong he wasn't um he wasn't over the top and saying you should be doing this or you should be doing that at all but I felt a very strong sense of um you know we get to have a say in how my body um is best prepared for this and I possibly went a bit far on that um so I found what I think of as that I think I said strategy tension quite difficult um there's what I felt was right in my body there's what I wanted to do or didn't want to do there's you know his opinion on you know what might be the best way for us to go there's friends and families there's doctors and other specialists there's the acupuncturist that I was seeing and da 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 da. Um, and I really felt that I don't know I really started to feel I, I guess and I'm better at reflecting on this now in hindsight but that sort of loss of body sovereignty was mm. quite strong for me um, not because you know, absolutely, it's a procedure. And so, you know, you have teams of people looking up your skirt. And that's, I didn't mind that. I'm from a negative a negative family. I'm from a positive family. <laughs> I'm from a medical family. And so I really believe in, you know, the training of future generations of physicians and all that kind of stuff. So when they'd say, oh, look, there's some interesting scar tissue in here. Do you mind if we get our team of registrars in to have a look? Like, I'm like, sure, come on in, no problem. Pull up a but pew. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, honestly, that didn't bother me. So I don't think of it, um, lo- you know, when I say loss of body sovereignty, I don't mean it in that way but I just mean um it wasn't just me choosing what to do with my body and how to do it and Mm. that um that had when I look back at kind of where I am now and things that have happened since we stopped trying to have children living children more children um yeah that took a that took an unhelpful toll on me it's um it's an interesting way of putting it about um, because just watching Nadine go through this as well, you you do put your body as a second thought, and you're doing mm. everything you can possibly do to make this hospitable place to grow a baby. Um, and so it's it, it's such a and you still have to live within it in mm, the meantime, yeah. mm-hmm. right? It is not just like an incubation station, you know. And you have to like it as well, you know. Like I got to the point where I was. Um, I was almost enemies with my body because it wasn't doing what I wanted it to do um, for our for our team as a shared resource, but it also wasn't really doing what I wanted it to do for me as well. Yeah. And and there are different opinions and different strategies. And I mean, if only it was a formula that could be perfectly followed that would you know spit out healthy living children mm. at the end. I know in theory it is, but it's just not. So I don't know if the you know, I don't know if all the different strategies were right or not. So the best that I could do was try and do them all. And some of them are competing and others, when you combine them all up, just actually take a lot of time. And where are you left in that? Absolutely. Yeah. And I know during this process, you know, there were 
so many um, moments where you're waiting for the test result. Sometimes it's it's the crushing defeat at that point. And other times for you, you know, you got weeks into a pregnancy mm. and then you had a miscarriage. Twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so how are you navigating that process of, I, I describe it, I know people talk about the roller coaster, I talk about it being hope and despair because mm. there's almost a whiplash there, you know, from going, oh, this could be it, mm. to this still isn't it. Mm. Hope, definitely, and joy. And worry and doubt and despair, yes, but probably for me more um, frustration and sadness and grief and grumpiness at myself. Um, And yeah, it is whiplashy. I mean, there's those times, I don't know if you've experienced this, but there's those times where you know, you're always on, right? So even if your strategy is to not try and just to take life as it comes, you're still going, oh, but... Uh, that is the strategy. That is the strategy. We are so deliberately are, not trying. Exactly, that's the strategy. <laughs> so how is the strategy going? And am I sticking to the strategy? And am I being loose right now? You know, like, am I being fun and frivolous? And am I having a good time? Because that's the strategy for getting pregnant. Which is not... Wondering if you're being free and frivolous enough is not a way to feel relaxed, right? Mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> and so even in those times where your strategy is to not have a strategy, um, you know, as you're coming up to being uh, to the time that you might be having your period and you start to feel those premenstrual symptoms, which very unhelpfully are also the symptoms that you might feel when you're starting, you know, when you're pregnant. And you're, you oh, know, I know. Who designed oh, that? It's crazy. <laughs> it's so frustrating. So you're like, well, I, I could be premenstrual or I could be pregnant. And so then the hope, you know, the hope rises and the joy rises. And I don't know about you, but I, f- I feel very strongly in the power of your mindset and your positivity. And so I tried really hard throughout all of this, and, and so did Matthew, to be like, no, we've got to believe that this is it. We've got to believe that we can do this. We've got to believe that this time might be the time. And so that whiplash can be even harder mm. because you're not kind of protecting the, you know, you're all in for hope and joy mm. and optimism. Um eating the right foods just in case, don't have a glass of wine just in case, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. So I think you get to the stage where you're like, okay, one more round. Um, you've got two eggs that became embryos um, and you put them both in. Yeah, we did. Yeah, on the advice, great advice. I'm not, you know, everybody's been fantastic along the way. Um, but they sort of said because you have a hard time with things taking and because you've only got two embryos and because you've had embryos not survive the thawing process before, the thawing process. Oh, um, so clinical. Yeah, which, you know, um, let's put them both in and hope that one takes. Yeah, and um, when did you sort of start feeling that maybe we've cracked at this time? Uh I felt that so often, yeah. but but I did, yeah. So that one, um, so actually, same deal. Like I feel, could be premenstrual, could be, you know. And I was away for work actually, and away with um, a couple of people. I'm I'm so glad and grateful of who I was away with because they were amazing. Um, and I just thought I can't take the suspense anymore. I'm going to go and get. Um, I'm going to go and get a pregnancy test and just just see. I know it's a bit early, but I'm just going to see. And I got two and did both of them and they both came back a very faint um, positive and I was like 
and there's two tests. Does yeah. that mean there's two babies? You know, <laughs> and there was. Um, but even then, like the next day, I started I started spotting, and there was some bleeding, and I was thinking, oh no, I've lost them. And then I started to feel sick, and you know, all that sort of stuff. So I don't think I ever really felt confident until I started to get my blood tests back, and my levels were really strong, and then got further and further along. But um, I felt like I. I did feel like I'd cracked it though, you yeah. know, I was like, this is something we've been striving for for ages. Um, it wasn't a decade in at that stage because we kept trying for more living children after that. But um, yeah, for years and years, um, for like seven years, we'd been trying, trying, trying. And I was like, I've done it. Yeah. This well, is amazing. And not just one, but two. It's just, mm. just like, oh my God, jackpot. we're going to have an instant yeah. family. Total jackpot. Absolutely. Yep. I was chuffed with myself. And I felt... Um, Gosh, pride comes before a fall, doesn't it? I felt like an overachiever. I felt like I'd not just done it, but I'd really done it. You mm. know, like. Um, but you deserve it as well when you go, when you go through this whole process. And mm, then, yeah. Thank you. Deserves a deserves a. Um, I, I I don't disagree with you, but I'm I'm super aware of the words now. I don't know that. I don't know that I think of this as a human right or a deserve mm. or a anything anymore. I feel that. I feel that that I think at the beginning of the process I thought it was like it's something owed to you, mm. you know, that everyone can get pregnant. But it isn't. It's mm. not owed to anyone. Mm. So I hear what you're saying. Because if it was about what people deserved, then this process would have a different ending. Mm. Right? Mm. Life isn't, you know, not like that. Um I also, whenever I think of deserve, I think of my incredible privilege that let me keep trying for so long. Mm. Um, I'm Pakiha. I am absolutely standing on generations of privilege, and I'm super aware that that let me pay for more rounds and let me, you know, keep going. I'm also aware of um, uh, what my, um, you know, the worldview that I was born into. Um, I don't know, the, the privilege associated with that, but also the there is just one way of being a family kind of mm. built into that, which is dumb, I think, you know. There are many all conditioned to be a that way. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. some are not. Like if I look at whangai within um, Te Ao Māori, there's definitely different ways of being a family. True, yeah. true. That's a really good point. So I guess twin pregnancies, they tell you, come with some higher risks. Mm. Was there any indication at it, that it might be more difficult? I mean, I guess you're, you're carrying two children. That's already difficult. But yeah, what did they tell you? Oh. So yes, um, there is always absolutely, and the the um, physicians along the way sort of said, "Look, this is trickier. There are higher rates." They're um, riding that line, of course, between not wanting to freak you out but give you all the facts. Um, and again, because I had to lean into hope and confidence, mm -hmm. um, I would typically say, you know, I hear you and I and I know, but I choose to believe this is going to be okay um, because that's what I felt like I needed to do, you know, and we felt like we needed to do and I didn't want to keep letting my husband down in the way that I had been for seven years. Oh, and was that really the way you felt about oh, it? Oh, yeah. I still feel about it. I still feel about it, absolutely. He... Um, 
he's not here and, you know, for those listening who don't know my backstory, we are no longer, um, we're, we're estranged. Um, and but I so I don't want to go into necessarily that side of the story. I don't think it's fair to him, but I certainly felt that way. Absolutely, um, you even made me feel that way, but I still felt that way. Mm. Um, what was I blathering on about before I got sidetracked? <laughs> the, the, <by>? Sorry, <laughs> I interrupted. I it was it was about the risks of twin pregnancies oh, yeah. that you were choosing positivity, which think- is great mindset. But you know whether there was uh, anything they told you con- in a concrete. Um, uh, what am I trying to say? Any any specific issues they identified mm. that they were like, hey, we need to be concerned about this? Um, not massively, but there were things along the way. And again, reattributed to this is common with twins. So for example, I actually can't remember the terminology of this. I should have, I should have looked it up and done my fact checking. But something to do, it might be called a cervical plug. Is that ringing a bell for you or anybody? That, that is ringing a bell, yeah. I think it's called yeah, that or something similar. Or something yeah. similar. So it's like the plug that holds your babies in. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's not. A, see, I'm from a medical family. That's not what we talked about <laughs> at dinner, though. Um, that was uh, thinner than one would like in a pregnancy. Um, and... But that's quite common with twins, and I think that's part of you know what the what the physicians would be looking for and making sure we're okay. I had an incredible obstetrician. Um, we had an incredible obstetrician um, who kept an eye on that. I had some bleeding and spotting along the way. She was amazing at um, checking in, making me feel appropriately assessed, but also you know right back to confidence. We'll just keep an eye on this, etc. I don't know, hindsight, it's all 2020, isn't it? Some people think when they start trying for a baby, bam, they'll fall pregnant. But for others, it can take years. They give everything a shot. Surgery, tests, drugs, specialists. Switching up lifestyle choices can help, and this goes for guys too. The journey sperm undertake on their way to fertilise an egg has been likened to a human trying to swim thousands of kilometres. So it's obvious why it's essential to create a healthy environment for sperm production. Menovit is a male fertility supplement specifically formulated to support sperm health and motility. Made with a unique mix of antioxidants, it provides support during the conception journey along with a healthy lifestyle. Menovit is available at leading pharmacies. For more information, head to elevit.co.nz. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I know you went away uh, on a work trip um, to Samoa at one point, which sounds idyllic, um, but you did have a a bit of a fright there, for want of a better term. You had some bleeding. Yeah, I had a lot of bleeding. So yeah, I went to um, Samoa 
which you've been to a number of times before and as a as a couple and um a couple of times you know for work a work trip with the team um and it was hot and I pushed myself too hard I think I mean I don't know who who knows and I think there's probably a lot of different things in there um as to as to why various things happen so I don't want to lay it all in in one doorstep um, but I, the last day of our trip, I woke up bleeding and I was, there was a lot of blood and I was, you know, absolutely into this, you know, second, maybe even third, tri- yeah, third trimester by roundabout. I was definitely pregnant by that stage. Mm. Um, and there was a lot of bleeding and a lot of blood and I, um, called a friend who is a midwife and she said, yeah, I think you need to go to hospital. So we went to the hospital in Samoa and they were amazing. Um, very different setup in Samoa. So they were um, trying to find a baby monitor so that they could see if I still had heartbeats. They were doing their examinations using the lights on their cell phone, like just incredible, wow. incredible team and physicians. So much beautiful monarchy though. Like it just felt so cared for and you know, um, keep calling me beautiful mama and, you know, stuff oh. like that. It was amazing, amazing. Um, and I stayed there um, for a couple of days. We stayed there for a couple of days um, and I was still bleeding. And um, after a few days, we made our way home and got assessed by our obstetrician. And um, yes, I had lost a lot of blood, but there was a lot of blood still there. So, um you know, back to being positive, back to being optimistic and just um, keen to take a little bit easier. But a few weeks later, um, my waters broke in the middle of the night and that's when we knew that the um, babies, particularly our daughter, Ella, was infected. And in my mind, I don't know, we've never, you know, there's, um, I think it's sort of all related to the time in Samoa where I was bleeding and I don't know if the bleeding was because the infection was starting or if bleeding gave rise to it. I don't know. Mm. But I certainly don't blame Samoa. Let's, they were amazing. Yeah. yeah, amazing. And so so Ella got the infection originally, is that we right? We think so. I mean, we can't really tell, but we know that she was sicker than mm. Alfie and so um, we think she was smaller than Alfie, but we think um, because she was so much sicker um, that probably developed there first. Yeah. And so, what happens when you get the when you're you're in the hospital and they say, "Look, um, Alice sick." What's the sort of process from the, from there? Mm. So at the time, they didn't know um, they didn't know who was sick. They knew that I was sick mm-hmm. because that they can do tests on and they could tell. So they knew that there was infection um, rising within me, and we knew. Um, so after my water broke, um, I went into hospital and babies can survive beyond so they were they were early at the stage and we needed to keep them growing um and so I was going to hang out in hospital for a while until the babies um were grown a bit more and yeah. healthier healthier and ready to come um and they you know the hospital again amazing they explained um that there was infection rising within me and that we just needed to keep me as healthy as possible. Um, and I, I mean, how amazing, what a privilege that I can hang out in hospital for a few weeks um, while my, while I try to kind of get my babies to be mm-hmm. a bit a bit bigger. Like amazing. 
Were you were you still able to maintain that positive mindset at that point that you've got, I just got a job to keep Ella and Alfie mm. inside mm. till they're a bit bigger, you know, or are you starting to worry? Both. Both. But I think um, I just kept choosing. Oh, I, I don't know how much of a fool I sound like saying this, but we just had to keep choosing to be positive. Like, I don't know what other choice you've got in that moment because – um, my reality was my reality and I just had to keep hoping and believing and trying and doing everything that I needed to do and Matthew doing everything that he could to mm. help me to stay there and you know he went back to he you know picked up extra work at the business and um, came to see me at the beginning of the day and the end of the day and you know we would stay positive and we'd do all our best but there are a few times where um, you know you do get reality adjustments for sure um, and you know physicians need to do that for you so that they you know give you all the facts and tell you what's going on and I remember an anaesthetist came in to um, put a you know put a line in me in case they needed this is when I'd first gone into hospital um, and I was trying to stay upbeat and you know my waters had only broken like five hours ago or something so I was trying to stay positive and upbeat Um and we had a nice chat and stuff and he re- sort of reflected on the reality and kind of when he was leaving, he sort of reflected out loud, I think, to himself, but out loud, um, gosh, I've seen a lot of people today and you're the most optimistic and you've probably got the least reason to be so. And I was like, oh, okay, so yeah, this is, like if he's seen a lot of people in this hospital, that's that's a pretty big call. Mm. So, you know, and I... um. Yeah, that was hard to hear, but also so great to know where you, you know what's going on and where you stand. So I don't, I have no ill feelings about that. Mm. Um, but then I, I just sort of said to him, "Yeah, um, I get it, but what choice have I got? I just have to figure out if I if I lose my headspace, it's not going to do anyone any favors. So mm. Mm. keep trying strength to to have through that, mm. through that period. That's a nice way to see it. Thank you. <laughs> At what point do though things? get a bit serious and they're really worried about the infection on you and on Ella and Alfie. Mm, it was a few weeks after that. Um, I had my big wall chart of how many days I was going to make it in here before it was a safer place to, you know, for the babies that that grown a bit more and I could deliver them safely. Um, and I started to get, um, I could tell that I was getting a bit sicker, you know, when you start to feel a bit feverish and a bit, you know, things like that. But I just thought, oh, maybe it's just that I've been in hospital for a few weeks and um, et cetera. Um, although I was being beautifully nourished by my husband at the time, bringing me good food and helping me to stay good and my mum and my family. Um, and there was one day that I started to feel a bit crampy, you know, like those sort of period cramp feelings starting to come along. Um, and talked about that with the um, with the medical team, the support team, and man, medical professionals are fantastic. So I talked to them about that, and they sort of did some more tests, and um, they were twice a day letting me hear the heartbeats of the babies, which I was always really grateful for. And on this day, um, both heartbeats were there and strong, um, and so I was like, "Yep." So everyone's still. That was my fear. My fear was that they something was going so wrong that they would die inside me. And I kept thinking, if if I've got a heartbeat, we're okay. Mm. We're okay. Um, 
but test results came back that the infection was starting to overwhelm not just them but also me and that they had to make some medical calls about um, prioritising. And I got very dramatic and, you know, choose them. Um, But that's kind of not the way it works. And they were sick and my husband was incredibly strong through this phase. I'll forever be grateful to him for how he was through this phase. But they made a call to induce me at that stage, knowing that um, it was very unlikely that the babies would survive. Um, And so they induced me and I gave birth to them and they lived and then they died in my husband's arms. And there's a lot more detail in there, but um, let's not go there today. Do you do you kind of almost have to block out a little bit of that as a self-preservation because uh, you knew that that was the outcome and yet you had to go through all the well at the same time as the physical pain the the emotional pain it was a lot um, I don't block it out now I choose to it's been you know they'd be eight this year so there's a lot of time oh. and distance. Um, and now I have more objectivity in being able to see it and see how I coped through that and see how Matthew was for that and how incredible he was. And I um, can see that I was strong in some ways, but I wish I'd been stronger. But the physical combined with the emotional was just such a lot. It was such a lot. Yeah. It's trauma, isn't mm. it? Yeah, you're experiencing a trauma. She's nodding her head. (laughs) Sometimes it's all you can do. Yeah, it's a lot. And then um, I'm really, I get really torn in this moment, but I, um, I would love, I love talking about them. I love talking about their character and and who who they looked like after they were born. in that time but I also want to respect thank you for asking me but I also I think probably this is something that Matthew and I it's it's ours and I I don't I probably won't want to go any further with him not being here and part of this and us sharing yeah Mm. I am I kind of want to know though afterwards I mean you're in a hospital where other babies are being born Mm. do they give you a space to be away from that and to be with your babies mm. and and to grieve and not be confronted with other people's joy. The hospital was incredible and in combination with I was in Wellington we were in Wellington Hospital and in combination with um, a charity called Sands, who are incredible as well, who help parents through this particular set of circumstances and others. There's a room called the Puhutakawa Suite within the antenatal unit in the hospital, which is like a a deluxe hospital room where you've got, um, you know, a bed and a sitting area in your own bathroom and you can be in there for a few days. And we were there for five days um, and it was wonderful and the midwives were incredible. Um, and we had our babies with us um, in a way that would keep them, 
they were chilled in there, but but beautifully with us. And it was amazing. And we just shut ourselves in there, really, um, made sure that, of course, one of us was always with them. It was tricky sometimes when you open the door to that and there are other women walking around with their newborns and people walking through the corridors with balloons saying congratulations and happy birthday and welcome to the world. Um, But it was also... um, quite nice I, I I wasn't um enlightened enough to really sink into this at the time but it's nice because I was also a mum I am also a mum yeah. so yeah I want to be with the mum so in some ways that was nice too I, I didn't necessarily clock that at the time but now I'm like yeah that's where I needed to be don't shut me away I'm I'm a mum as well I was entitled to parental leave. Didn't know about that at the time, but I was. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. They were really good. The, the hospital staff were amazing and the midwives were incredible, incredible and so respectful, um, but also uh, really useful, like telling me things like, hey, your milk's going to come in and that's going to be sore and it's going to kick you in the guts. Mm. And if I hadn't given me a heads up about that, I, that would have swamped me. That would have absolutely swamped me. Oh gosh, I hadn't even thought about that aspect of it. But yeah, your body is, it's like we've given birth and it's going through all the natural processes. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And then after your five days, you go home. Mm, that must home. have been the weirdest, most difficult sensation. You went in there to have your babies and then you then you don't get to take them mm, home. And we did take them home. We were quite insistent that they would be coming home with us and so we had them at home with us for a few days until um, my husband and I just privately cremate, cremated them and we have their ashes still. Um. My family were incredible. Our friends were incredible. But, yeah, it's not what you expected. My family said to me, you know, what can we possibly do for you? His family are also incredible but on the other side of the world. So um, that's why I'm not mentioning them as much in this moment. But amazing support. And I, you know, what can you do? But they're your family. So what I could say was when we, last time I was home, I, um, the house was a bit of a mess anyway and my water broke and we just jumped out of bed and went to hospital so any chance you could like do the dishes and change the sheets and you know so practical help yeah Yeah. so good so they filled me up you know filled the fridge up and left us with a basket of food and um changed the sheets which was nice and cleaned the bathroom and vacuumed and did every dish and just you know like good family will do they're amazing amazing and that was really helpful really really practically helpful And then we did another round of IVF and we went through the adoption, the start of the adoption process and the training that you do for adoption and fostering. We had an incredible woman um, who wasn't known to us um, become an egg donor for us. Um, We had another, um, we had embryos from that and we... Try it again um, with implantation, which is the other end of harvest. Um, you harvest and then you create an embryo in a um, petri dish and then you implant them back into me in my particular set of processes. Um, and that didn't take. So, you know, the journey continued. Yeah, it's, 
And so you, while you're continuing on with, you know, we say the journey, mm. Um, mm. The, after losing your beautiful babies, it's, it's a lot for any person to take on alone. Did you reach out and get help from professionals or was it the fa- your family that were there looking after you the whole time? Mm, y- yes and yes. Um, and my husband and I, you know, the back to being the team, you know, like we're a team in this and he was um, – yeah, amazing, amazing support through this, amazing outpouring of love, but also having to deal with own immense grief. So it's pretty hard to look after each other well when you're in that moment, you know, of your own grief. And everyone grieves differently, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And um, if he were here, we could talk to you about our differences, but maybe I'll just leave that one. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, and I've seen um, I've seen wonderful um, psychologists to help me through. I've done, you know, podcasts and I've listened to podcasts and read books. And but you know, you just the only way to get through it is to get through it. I think you know, just to keep going. And, and I don't know. I'm just going to spew platitudes in a minute. Yeah. You, it's hard. Um, it's hard. It sucks. Of course, yeah. there's yeah. no two ways about that. It's enormous. Does yeah. does talking about it help though? Does that help you? Um, sometimes and sometimes not. Mm -hmm. I think, um, for me, um, I was really stuck in my grief and because absolutely it was about grief for our two children, very specific grief, but it was also just years and years and years of trying and thinking that you've finally done it. There was all of that and there was grief, I mean, telling people who I can Sure, grief for your imagined future. Mm. Um, yeah, because you are imagining uh, Ella and Alfie's first birthday, mm-hmm. and then them heading off to school, mm-hmm. and it's all about your life with them. It's not just losing the infant; it's losing their future, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we'd gone from spending evenings, you know, lying on the couch with you know Matthew speaking at my belly, and just feeling so much love and connection to me hating my body and not wanting it to be touched and showering in the dark because I couldn't bear to see it. And um, so loss of that kind, that particular kind of love, not loss of love, but loss of that particular kind of love is another thing to grieve for. Yeah. Yeah. The fertility journey, the grief was immense, absolutely immense. Of course. And then the fertility journey continued. We we wanted living children, so yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a break there. Emma's story is one of the toughest that we've featured on the human race. So we're splitting her episode into two parts to give everyone a chance to catch their breath. The second is available right now, and if you're following the show, it will already be in your feed. So listen when you're ready, and if you need to, make use of the resources in the show notes. That was The Human Race, which was proudly brought to you by Alibit. Support babies' healthy development at every stage. Always read the label, follow the directions for use. Vitamin and mineral supplements are not a substitute for a balanced diet. If you have a baby with a neurotube defect or spina bifida, seek specific medical advice. Bay New Zealand Limited, Auckland. 
If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.